You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Now that property assessments are out, some owners are getting a huge shock. How about a 250% increase? That's what the owner of one Burnaby business is facing, and his assessment isn't even the highest in the neighborhood. Aaron MacArthur explains what's behind the dramatic jump and why the store and all of its employees might suffer. After 44 years in business, there is real concern at Interstyle Ceramic and Glass about the future. The Burnaby business saw its property value skyrocket by more than 250%. And with a tax bill due this summer that could be significantly higher, the owner might be forced to shut down. So suddenly from paying $140,000, my taxes will go up to half a million dollars. The assessed value of the factory is now $44 million. And owner Kim Hauner can't figure out why. Nothing has changed. The city hasn't rezoned his land. There's no reason for the massive jump except one land sale dozens of blocks away. There's pressure uh, from developers to try to find land to redevelop. The Saputo factory will be sold next year for a reported $200 million. Its assessed value jumped 323%. Next door is under contract. It's worth 249% more. The ripple effect has meant triple-digit increases at Costco and most of the businesses near the Production Way SkyTrain station. Property tax agents say it's due to an official community plan on the books that calls for density around the SkyTrain stations. The city of Burnaby says this is nothing more than premature speculation. And the industrial area doesn't even come up for a for discussion. The use of the land, the, the, the people that work here, the, the reason why we stay here, none of it is being looked at. It is simply speculation. Hunter can appeal his property assessment, but that will take time. Selling and moving is an option, but there are 125 people who work for him that he has to think about. And there are a few places to go. Industrial land is scarce and under pressure right across the region. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Meantime, there's a major sales slump in the Metro Vancouver housing market. According to the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver, 2018 saw the lowest home sales in 18 years. Sarah McDonald reports on the factors experts say are at play and how long it's expected to last. The supply is there, but the demand is down at near record lows and province-wide. New numbers confirming what industry experts and economists have long seen coming. People used to say, I better jump in the market, it's going to be higher next month. Now they say, hey, I better sit back. The region's once red-hot real estate market plummeting over the past year. Sales dropping dramatically down more than 30% from 2017, marking the slowest year for sales in nearly two decades. All detached, attached townhouses and condos all started to trend downward. Those 24,000 properties bought and sold over the past 12 months, falling 25% below the 10-year average. Prices for detached homes also nosediving, with benchmark prices dropping nearly 8% in just one year. And still, buyers aren't biting. Because banks don't like to give you mortgages, so I do have a lot of friends that would like to, and just banks are saying no. Even now, with it dropping, it would still be to live in Vancouver is ridiculous. You know, it's cheaper to rent. 
Which may be why the number of active listings lingering on the market is at its highest since the recession. Month over month, listings stagnating and accumulating. I don't know if uh, that increase in new listings is, is going to be you know, met with the right amount of buyers. The trend is likely in place for 2019. That decrease in demand also evident in the once rock-solid development sector, tangible at sites like this one in downtown Vancouver, initially slated for luxury condos. That proposal one of several since pulled. What's concerning is if developers pull back. And we've heard of projects being cancelled. We had an interest rate driven market on the way up. That shifted. It created a psychological change. This world-class market now feeling the impact of multiple colliding factors and comfortably tilted in favour of those looking to buy. What goes down will go up. The question now is will they? Sarah McDonald, Global News. Amtrak travelers on the Cascades route had trouble reaching their destinations today. The train was en route from Bellingham to Vancouver when it had to go back because of a mudslide just north of Bellingham blocking the tracks. The slide, reportedly 60 feet wide and 10 feet deep, bus transportation was set up to get passengers around the mudslide to Vancouver. Crews are now working to clear the track. Once clear, a geotech will inspect it as well as the slope and the mud that came from it. Trains could be running again later tonight if the area is deemed safe. RCMP are confirming, despite well being well equipped for the backcountry, a 42-year-old Squamish man has died in an avalanche near Pemberton yesterday. The news comes as Parks Canada issues a warning to anyone heading out this weekend. Recent heavy snowfall, warm temperatures and high winds have led to an extreme avalanche risk in much of B.C. and Alberta. Parks Canada warns the risk is considerable to high for the North Shore Mountains and Sea to Sky Corridor with the snowfall of the past few days sitting on top of a weak layer from mid-December. The cleanup from a series of powerful storms that wreaked havoc on Vancouver Island is now underway. Residents tallying the damage from the wind and flooding caused by days of heavy rain. Kylie Stanton has a look at some of the worst of it and how residents are coping. Where'd you guys come from? There's only one way in or out, so getting home in the middle of a storm means getting creative. I really want to get home. <laughs> so close yet so far away. Here we go again, every year. Keep in the middle and uh, no panicking. Martindale Road in Parksville became a lake Thursday evening. Just one of the many spots on Vancouver Island forced to close after yet another powerful winter storm triggered localized flooding. The type of thing we only expect to see once every two years. We've seen four or five times now. Uh, and so, so in that sense, it, it's been a, a fairly um, steady year uh, for seeing a large number of these types of storms. As much as 150 millimeters of rain fell on parts of the island between Tuesday and Thursday, causing the Little Qualicum and Englishman rivers to burst their banks. Now the River Forecast Centre has downgraded the status to a high stream flow advisory. And here in Shawnigan Lake, the flooding is beginning to subside as the sun comes out, giving everything a chance to dry out. But then there's the wind. Power lines are down, forcing crews to continue their scramble and forests have been flattened. Pretty unreal, you know? Ripping the roots out of the ground, snapping them off halfway up. Like, it was crazy. Even the roof of this building came off with people trying to take cover inside. 
150 feet by 30 feet, it blew right off and blew right across the highway. I've lived here my whole life. I've never seen anything like this. This was pretty bad. BC Hydro is calling it the worst storm in its history. And there's still likely more to come as early as next week. Typically, the season lasts until the end of January or February, into February. So we still have the potential for, for more of this kind of uh, event to happen. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. RCMP are releasing new details about a police pursuit spanning three cities last night. It began with a report about a possible assault in a vehicle. When police first located the car, it backed up into the cruiser and took off. A pursuit ensued down Highway 1 through Chilliwack into Abbotsford and finally ended in Langley when officers from multiple jurisdictions pulled over a white sedan. The vehicle was spike belt. And it came to rest at uh, 232 Street on Highway 1, where the driver of the vehicle and alleged suspect in the assault was taken into custody and a passenger was safely um, located. RCMP say the investigation is ongoing. The suspect was due in court today. Thankfully, the victim wasn't seriously injured. The Monica Jack murder trial is wrapping up with defense arguing a key piece of evidence is false. Gary Handlin is charged with the first-degree murder of the 12-year-old. He's pleading not guilty, with lawyers arguing jurors should ignore his videotaped confession. Ramina Dea has more on the historic cold case and what will be one of the jury's biggest challenges. The jury is getting ready to weigh 40 years of evidence, but the crux of this case hinges on the Mr. Big RCMP sting. Is the confession of the accused true or false? Crown argues Gary Handlin's confession in 2014 to a fictitious crime boss, an undercover RCMP officer, was not coerced, adding that Handlin confessed in order to avoid prosecution. During the nine-month-long undercover sting, Handlin said he grabbed 12-year-old Monica Jack, threw her bike into a lake, and forced the little girl into his camper. Jack's skull was found 17 years after she was first reported missing from the Merritt area in 1978. Handlin knew a high level of detail only the person responsible would know, says Crown. Defense told the jury the confession was false and police conducted months and months of psychological manipulation while offering inducements. Handlin thought he was going to lose everything unless he confessed, says defense adding there is a complete absence of any forensic evidence, including no fingerprints on the bike and no DNA evidence. Jack's family has braved weeks of heinous evidence in the trial, which began in October. Jack's mother told me she is not ready to comment just yet. The jury is expected to begin deliberations next week. Ramina Dea, Global News. 
A bomb scare had a section of downtown Kamloops cordoned off for several hours this morning. Around 8.15, RCMP received a report an explosive device was found at the Kamloops library. Police said nearby businesses were evacuated and the area was cleared as a precaution. Then the library and surrounding areas were searched with the assistance of a bomb-sniffing dog. Nothing was found in the end, and just after 11 a.m., the area was reopened. Some significant news today for low-income earners who need prescription medication. The Pharmacare deductibles are now eliminated for those earning less than $30,000. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this, and, and Keith, how many people this could potentially help? Yeah, quite a few, uh, Chris. Pharmacare, of course, is such a massive program. It's getting bigger and bigger all the time. $1.3 billion is what it's going to cost as uh, drug manufacturers and drug prices continue to increase. But today's announcements only uh, uh, the latest in a series of announcements by Health Minister Adrian Dix, reflective of the fact that he's been able to put $850 million more in terms of an increase in the healthcare system, a record increase in one, one year from year to year. What does that translate to? Well, I'll take a look. First of all, today's announcement will affect 240 40,000 families who earn less than $30,000, and they will have lower uh, or no PharmaCare deductibles at all. That's on top of previous announcements, such as 35,000 MRI uh, exams are now taking place more than were, were last year. And speaking of MRIs, there are now 10 MRI machines operating on a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week basis instead of one previously. 9,400 more surgeries are taking place around the province. And finally, uh, 10 urgent uh, primary care centers are being established established with the goal of all of them up and running by this spring. So a lot is going on in the healthcare system, Chris, uh, in mm -hmm. terms of increased funding, reflecting a lot of these measures that haven't really got a lot of attention, but they do add up to some significance. Yeah, and maybe even more. The idea of dental coverage has been, uh, you know, put out there before, and now uh, it's maybe back in the conversation? Yeah, this has been talked about for decades. The social credit government in the 80s talked about this. But Adrian Dix, again, the health minister today, uh, echoing the premier's comments to us uh, some weeks ago about the, the desire, at the very least, to eventually come up with a publicly funded dental care system. Here's Adrian Dix. If you're asking what I th whether I think dental care is important, I think the answer is yes. Some federal political parties, I think the NDP, have been talking about um, a national dental program as well, and that may be part of the national debate, and we'd obviously be interested in, in dealing with that. So maybe yes, maybe no. I think the desire there is there to get to a, a dental care system. I don't think we'll get there quite so soon, even though the health care budget will exceed $20 billion starting next year. Big numbers. Okay, thanks, Keith. Have a good weekend. All right. You too. Right now, though, some illegal urban tree topping has sparked outrage in Vancouver and has the city vowing to track down whoever's responsible. As Jill Bennett reports, the location of the trees makes the crime particularly devastating. There you go. There's a big fresh piece that's been cut off the top, right? Eight trees in this grove of conifers at the foot of Tolmy Street and Spanish Banks are a lot shorter than they were a few weeks ago after someone sawed through the trunks, in some cases chopping down up to 20 feet. More than likely a, a large handsaw they could have done this with because they're all the tops. They're not the entire tree. It wasn't like somebody cut it down for a Christmas tree. This was specifically done to stop these trees from growing up. Damaging trees intentionally is a criminal offence and the park board is taking this vandalism very seriously. We will prosecute to the full extent of the law uh, with fines, replacements, um, whatever we can do. We are working with, uh, we will be working with VPD. 
The topped trees weren't really blocking the million-dollar view, but as they grew, that would have changed, leading some to speculate on motivation. Somebody obviously yeah. wanted a better view. Yeah, who's got the best view here? Figure it out, right? There is no evidence to suggest the cut trees are in any way linked to any of the homes across the street, but it's not a surprise people would go there. There have been high-profile cases in the past in this same neighborhood where heavy fines were levied after trees were illegally cut down. And that's a significant piece. This has probably been here for a couple of weeks. It's unclear if the culprit at Spanish banks cut the trees completely or cut the trunks most of the way, leaving the rest to snap in a windstorm. Either way, the damage is done. These trees have a lot of value, not just monetarily, but just to the community and to this small little, it's really important, this small little area that these trees are here. So uh, very disappointing. And if anybody knows anything, we'd love for them to come forward and talk to us. Anyone with dash cam video or any other information about the vandalism is asked to contact the Park Board or Vancouver Police. Jill Bennett, Global News. City of Vancouver has finally approved its first three locations for purchasing legalized cannabis. The first legal locations are the Evergreen Cannabis Society on West 4th Avenue and two locations of City Cannabis Co., one on Robson Street, one on Fraser Street. The city issued the first three licenses following license approvals from the province in the past couple of weeks. A truck carrying a load of live pigs crashed earlier today near Caramillos. Witnesses say the animals were left at the scene for hours, some of them in distress. Police say they had an officer on scene immediately after the crash and he was forced to euthanize three of the animals. They then herded the rest of the pigs away into a field. Global News has learned the truck came from Tabor, Alberta and was en route to a slaughterhouse in Chilliwack. A disturbing story out of the Okanagan now for anyone who has an elderly relative in a BC care home. A woman in Kelowna has died after an altercation with another patient. Global Okanagan's Jules Knox reports. A 90-year-old woman is dead after an altercation with another resident inside Kelowna's Spring Valley Care Centre. It's a very tragic incident. Obviously, it's traumatic for the resident who died and their family. One week before Christmas, on December 18th, the victim taken to hospital after the altercation. She was released the next day, but died shortly after. Over the last four years, Spring Valley Care Centre has been found with 40 infractions during interior health inspections. A report in 2016 found that the facility did not have adequate staffing levels to maintain the health and safety of people in its care. Spring Valley Care Centre is privately operated and did not respond to an interview request. Seniors advocate Isabel McKenzie says the care home in question does have a higher percentage of people with aggressive behaviours and dementia than the provincial average, but says these kinds of incidents could happen anywhere. You can't always predict when or who might become aggressive because what you're seeing is somebody who might have been a passive person all of their life. Because of the neurological changes that are happening as a result of the disease, they can become aggressive. Interior Health won't comment on the specifics of the incident, but says it is reviewing the circumstances. Residence on resident aggression does happen a very small percentage of the time. We have uh, implemented um, programs to help um, educate uh, caregivers to be able to uh, deal with resident aggression. The cause of the victim's death has not been released, and RCMP and the coroner service continue to investigate exactly what happened. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. 
That new provincial daycare funding that's intended to ease the financial burden on parents is having the opposite effect on some daycares. They say their government payments from the child care fee reduction initiative are often late, forcing them to pay the bills out of their own pocket. That's right, New Year! It was put in place last year to help offset the costs of daycare. Who's got number two? Aim for the snow! Called the Child Care Fee Reduction Initiative, parents can save up to $350 every month. That money being kicked in by the provincial government paid directly to daycares. Mine covers more than 20% of my fees. But many daycares like Little Dancing Owls in Kelowna are reporting that the government is failing to deliver the payments on time. We are supposed to receive our um, payments um, on the first of the month. But this month, Pauline Chua says her payment will be almost a week late, a delay that causes financial difficulty and stress. I have financial obligations that are due at the beginning of the month and I have to cover those personally. Little Owl Academy provides 250 child spaces between its two locations and the government payments here amount to more than $20,000 every month. Money, owner Amanda Worm says, has been late numerous times, causing her to dip into her personal line of credit to help pay staff and cover lease costs. The government acknowledging the problem. In an email to Global News, a ministry spokesperson said it is unacceptable that they are having to pay out of pocket due to this delay. We are working to address this issue so that it doesn't happen again. Chua certainly hopes so. Otherwise, she'll consider opting out of the program. But that comes with a risk of losing clients. They're used to having this reduction. Why would they stick with us if they can go somewhere else that still is opted in? Kevin Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Thailand's first tropical storm in three decades caused extensive damage to coastal villages and world-famous tourist resorts. Tropical storm Pabuk knocked down trees, blew off roofs, and caused widespread flooding. One person was killed on a fishing boat that capsized. More than 6,100 people in four provinces were evacuated ahead of the storm. We're two full weeks into the partial shutdown of the U.S. government, and after another meeting between Donald Trump and the Democrats, there is still no resolution. The president following up the meeting with another wide-ranging, meandering news conference and threatening to build his border wall even without the approval of Congress. Two weeks into this shutdown, a two-hour talk and two versions of how it went. He said he'd keep the government closed for a very long period of time, months or even years. We just completed a lengthy and sometimes a contentious conversation with the president. I thought it was really a, a very, very good meeting. The president, in a surprise appearance in the Rose Garden, revealing he's considering going around Congress altogether by invoking emergency national security powers to get the wall he wants. We could call a national emergency and build it very quickly. And uh, it's another way of doing it. But if we can do it through a negotiated process, we're giving that a shot. But in a sign the president may be shifting his stance, what that wall looks like? So you have a concrete wall, and and that's what I do best. Sounds different than it once did. I think we'll have to build a steel wall as opposed to a concrete wall. You could call it a steel fence. He says negotiations will continue this weekend, with the partial shutdown now all but guaranteed to drag into next week.
I am proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck. Now, are you still proud to own this shutdown? Well, you know, I, I appreciate the way you say that, but once, uh, I'm very proud of doing what I'm doing. I don't call it a shutdown. I call it doing what you have to do for the benefit and for the safety of our country. You can call it the Schumer or the Pelosi or the Trump shutdown. Doesn't make any difference to me. Just words. It's not words, but dollars to the federal employees forced to stay home, still on the hook for mortgages or rent. Hey, I've been a landlord for a long time. I've been in the real estate business for a long time. When you see there are problems out there, difficulties out there, you know, the people are all good for the money. They work with people. One of those workers has his own message for Washington. Get rid of politics and think about the people that voted you in. So think of them before you think of yourself. And tonight at immigration courts, a shutdown backlog. Those cases are at a standstill. Those cases are being canceled on a daily basis, thousands at a time. A couple of fascinating dispatches from space tonight. One day after its historic landing on the far side of the moon, a Chinese lunar rover set out to explore the surface. Photos show the rover Jade Rabbit 2 rolling off a ramp onto the soft, dusty surface. The rover has a maximum speed of 200 meters per hour and can climb a 20-degree hill or an obstacle up to 20 centimeters tall. This is the world's first mission to the surface of the far side of the moon. And not to be outdone, NASA putting out new images of its Mars InSight lander, releasing its hold on its seismometer. Now that it's safely secured on the surface, it's the first scientific instrument to be placed directly on the surface of Mars. Kevin Hart could host the 91st Oscars after all, and he's got a former host in his corner. I think that the night will be about you, and it should be about you, and you should host the Oscars, and I'm going to talk you into it after this. Ellen DeGeneres is campaigning to have Hart reinstated as host. Hart dropped out last month after previous homophobic comments came to light. DeGeneres says she believes in forgiveness and second chances and says she has contacted the Academy to get him rehired. Sources suggest the Academy is considering asking Hart back. But Ellen is now taking a lot of heat for her support of Hart. One tweet pointing out Hart's attacks were on black gay men and telling her, you have no authority to forgive him on behalf of a section of the community you don't belong to. Another saying, you choose to support someone so blatantly homophobic, it's scary. In Health Matters tonight, doctors say a new study proves the importance of being tested for allergies as an adult for two very different reasons. American researchers found that many people believe they have food allergies when what they really have is an intolerance or some other health condition. More importantly, the research shows it's more common than previously thought to develop allergies in adulthood. Patients need to get a proper diagnosis so that if they are at risk of severe reactions, they're prepared to deal with them. It's also important because it can be misdiagnosed or people can think they're allergic to the wrong things and avoid foods unnecessarily. The research shows that one in 10 adults have food allergies and nearly half developed at least one of their allergies in adulthood. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Okay. Dozens of people stranded in Montana after their ski lift broke down. The rescue coming up right after the forecast. Sound pretty relaxed about it. Uh, yeah, I That think is so. my nightmare, which is good. The 
Uh, yes, it is a nightmare scenario mm -hmm. for sure. Lots of snow up in uh, Sea to Sky Country. That's right. An incredible atmospheric river over the last couple of days, bringing a ton of snow to interior regions. Whistler here uh, showing just the snow piling up. So, yes, record snowfall in Whistler uh, throughout the month of December. They had 384 centimeters of snow, and that is four centimeters past the old record, which was set back in 1994. But then in addition to that, the first couple of days of January, incredible. So the second and third, 74 centimeters in two days. Yikes. So they have had a ton, and it has meant for a ton of rainfall across our region. Here's a look at some of the records. We had about a dozen records across the region, but you clueless, January 2nd was the rainiest day ever at 214 millimeters of rain in just a 24-hour period, and these ones are daily records. So for January 3rd, it would be the record in uh, Pitt Meadows at 83 millimeters. And just to give you perspective, I want to show you this. So the daily record for you clueless surpassed the old one by four. 40 millimeters. And to put it in perspective compared to the monthly average, keep in mind, this is one day. It got 43% of what it would typically get in the entire 31 days of January. So incredible. Now, today was much lighter and we actually broke records. 12 of them across the province. It was mild out there. Chilliwack, 13.5. Soyuz, close to 10 degrees. So very nice and mild and mostly dry, but we're in for wet weather. One more mild day before temperatures drop. The wet weather pushing into coastal regions by the morning for northern Vancouver Island. Dry across Metro Vancouver, but I expect the rain to push back into our area, likely around the dinner hour, and it will continue to be wet overnight Saturday through our Sunday, and then it's Sunday into our Monday that temperatures drop once again. It does mean snowfall for the mountain passes. Meanwhile, across the north, we'll see snow in Terrace, Smithers, but mild for one more day. So just rainfall across these regions. But again, higher elevations will see snow. And for the south coast, rain across the north, shifting down into our region by the evening hours. So at least your Saturday is looking mostly dry. Sunday will be wet, though. Monday dry. And then we've got a couple of soakers on the way for Tuesday and into our Wednesday. And I'll leave you with the beautiful local mountains. Nice shot looking out over the North Shore. Thanks to Ryan for that with the new snow. Nice to see the snow up there. Thanks, Christy. That is pretty. An afternoon on the slopes turned into a bigger adventure than expected in Montana. No fewer than 140 skiers and boarders had to be rescued after a mechanical issue brought a chairlift to a grinding halt. It took the ski patrol two and a half hours to evacuate everyone who was stranded. Some had to be lowered to the ground with cables and harnesses. Luckily, it wasn't too cold and everyone got down, none the worse for wear. Oh. That's an adventure. Except maybe some psychological maybe stuck scars. up there with a kid as well. Yeah, it would have been tough. Mm. All right, Barry's here for uh, Squire. The, the Elias, Elias pretzel leg. That's right. However you say his name, it's not, uh, it's it hard to say. Bad. It looked bad. I think it's mm. better than it looked. That's, yeah. we know that for okay. sure, but uh, we don't know a whole lot of specific details. Thanks, guys. Uh, it doesn't appear 
Elias Pettersson will play tomorrow in Toronto as the Canucks conclude their six-game road trip against the Maple Leafs. Pettersson was scheduled to have an MRI today on his knee. We think he had one, but as of now, the Canucks aren't saying anything, just that there is no timetable for his return to the lineup. Pettersson, though, did say he's feeling better today than yesterday, so maybe best-case scenario, it's just a few days he misses, not a few weeks. Here's the play. Okay, no. Habs 18-year-old rookie, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, with the, the forced way. tackle on Pettersson behind the play, and Pettersson's knee bends back. That could have been devastating. Again, the Canucks giving no timetable on how much he'll miss. Kotkaniemi not penalized. Deserved at least a face wash. Look at Ben Hutton. He was going to do something there and then didn't do anything. Uh, didn't have to be violent. Just a little shot, I think. But uh, the Canucks say they didn't have a problem with the play. And Pedersen, as you think, will not play tomorrow. Well, nothing quite puts a uh, damper on the holiday season for hockey fans than when Canada fizzles out of the World Junior Tournament, especially when we're hosting it. But that is the reality as the semifinals hit today. No Canada. But Russia and the USA met today with two Canucks draft picks on the Americans, defenseman Quinn Hughes and forward Tyler Madden. Hey, look who's right. in the crowd. Trump and Putin. But they're both wearing Team Canada jerseys. Oh, that's a bit odd. Uh, Russians put the first puck in the net. But it's called back for being directed into the net with a skate. Now, in the NHL, that would be a good goal. But the IHF had a new rule this year. If you direct the puck with your skate, that's not a goal. So, good break for the Americans. Still scoreless. Then, Logan Cockerell on the rush to Oliver Wallstrom. And that is a good goal for the Americans. They're up 1-0 after one, second period. USA is on a power play, and it's young Jack Hughes, expected to be the number one overall pick, who centers it. And Alex Kemalevsky bangs in the rebound, so 2-0 Americans. Russia gets it back. It's a nice goal here by Grigory Denisenko from the sharp angle. Beats American goalie Caden Primo, whose dad Keith played in the NHL, 2-1 after two. Early third, look at this. This is how close the Russians come to tying it. That close. Swept off the goal line by Phil Kemp. And the Americans hang on to win it 2-1. to one. They will play for gold tomorrow. It means a lot. Uh, I didn't have the chance last year, and I'm not going to have the chance next year. So um, I'm really excited, and uh, this was the goal all along, so I'm excited. The other semifinal on the ice right now, Switzerland and Finland, both posting huge upsets in the quarters. The Swiss over the Swedes, the Finns, of course, over Canada. It has been all Finland. Arnie Talavidia with the first of his two in the first period. They're up 4-0 through 8. It's 6-1 now, Finland after two. Looks like it'll be them and the Americans tomorrow for gold. NFL wildcard weekend starts tomorrow. Seahawks are at Dallas, 5-15 start our time. Two 10-6 teams. Both like to run the ball. Both defenses can force turnovers. It's really a toss-up. For Seattle to win, they'll need their playmakers to come up big like they have all season. Seahawks hurry it up. Pass to the end zone for the touchdown Seattle and Jerron Brown. These teams did meet early in the season in week three. Seattle got its first win of the season, establishing the running attack that ended up leading the NFL with a 160 yards per game average. Many feel that change in philosophy changed the Seahawks' fortunes and led them to making the playoffs. But Seattle's edge this weekend is the passing game, where Russell Wilson has two very dangerous weapons. Tyler Lockett, who had a career-high 10 touchdowns, and Doug Baldwin, who's finally healthy after a season where he battled numerous injuries. He brings a certain energy and fire and passion to the game that... Uh, 
that you can feel that you sense when he walks in the room. And uh, so he, he's he's a you know, he, he's a special player for us, and we're excited that um, he's healthy and playing great right now. Um, we're excited about going to the playoffs with him. Maybe Seattle's biggest edge is at quarterback. No QB in the NFL has had more fourth-quarter comeback success the past seven seasons than Russell Wilson, and he's never been better, throwing a career-high 35 touchdowns this season. No matter what situation we're in, he's always um, he's always talking about belief and thinking that you know, no matter how negative the situation may appear, uh, we have an opportunity to, to come out of it unscathed. And um, you know, it's infectious for our team. I think you gotta gotta look forward to it. You gotta have no fear. I think also too, um, you gotta want to have the ball in your hands. You know, no matter if you're down by 14, no matter if you're down by four, no matter what the situation is. Um, you, know, you, you got to look forward to those moments. Well, Canada may have a rising tennis star on its hands. 18-year-old Bianca Andreescu from Toronto has now beaten two former world number ones on back-to-back days. Carolyn Wozniacki yesterday. Today she beat Venus Williams at a tournament in Auckland, New Zealand. Big forehand winner, took the second set, and then on match point, Andreescu stays in the point with a great defensive forehand there that just is in, and then Venus hits wide, so Andreescu onto the semis. Her ranking has gone from 143 to 114. She's an exciting player. Maybe the next Dennis Shapovalov on the women's side. Eugenie Bouchard almost joined her in the semis but lost a three-setter in her quarterfinal match, and of course the Australian Open, the first major, is coming up next Sunday, so good to see. Nice to have someone new to cheer for, yeah, right? Yeah, Canadian tennis is pretty darn good right now. It is. Thanks, right. Barry. Thanks, Barry. Let's check in with Andrew and now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. Surrey RCMP are investigating after a woman was grabbed from behind and bear-hugged. The suspect also trying to cover her mouth. Fortunately, the victim managed to escape. Tonight, we'll tell you where this happened and we'll have a suspect description. And a derailment of 15 CP rail cars near the BC Alberta border could impact traffic at the Port of Vancouver. It happened yesterday in a tunnel between Kicking Horse Pass and Field. The port expects a number of ships will be rescheduled until the derailment is cleared when that might happen tonight when you join us at 11 o'clock. Chris, Sophie. All right. Thank you, Ann. BC's newest multimillionaires finally come forward. That's up next. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do with your family. Kasia? Well, the fun doesn't have to end now that the holiday season is behind us. A few festive special events carry on, including Sea of Lights at the Vancouver Aquarium. Visit their holiday tree powered by an electric eel or check out the luminous jelly snow globe. So, your resolution is to work out more. Well, learn how to winter run on Sunday at Hollyburn Mountain, West Vancouver. Join the experts on the six kilometer trail and get tips on uphill and downhill technique, best practices and equipment recommendations. The Surrey International Lantern Festival is on, an enormous breathtaking festival with several themes, including a dragon world and a sea world theme. Got your attention? We'll go soon, as it's the festival's last weekend. The tale's as old as time, and you can experience it live with the Arts Club Theatre. Beauty and the Beast will thrill and enchant you with its stunning sets, lavish costumes, and catchy, memorable music. Calling all gamers to Science World. Catch this highly interactive traveling exhibit celebrating tech innovations and try your hand at playing 17 games which took the gaming world to new heights. Exhibits on until January 7th. For more, go to globalnews.ca slash five things. 
Here's your snow report for today. An incredible amount of new snow in some areas. Whistler Blackcomb getting 58 centimeters. Cypress a good nine. Into the interior, Fernie picking up an incredible 35 centimeters of new snow in the last 24 hours. Manning Park, seven. Whitewater, 10. Big White also getting a light dusting today just to freshen things up. Silver Star, five centimeters. And into Kicking Horse, 20 centimeters fresh snow over the last 24 hours. And Mount Washington getting a ton at 15. Coming up on ET Canada, we've got your Golden Globe predictions from L.A. Plus, we drop by the set of Schitt's Creek to get you ready for Season 5. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thank you, Cheryl. So a Surrey woman is starting off the new year as a multimillionaire, finally coming forward to claim the Lotto Max jackpot. The $39.5 million check will transform her life in a lot of ways. Jordan Armstrong spoke to her about what comes next. Michelle DeRoma has 39 and a half million reasons to celebrate. So I'm sure this is all a little surreal for you. The mother of three, the only person to match all seven numbers for the year-end Lotto Max jackpot. Of course, she broke the news to her husband first. He shouted, wow. <laughs> the ticket, a quick pick, bought it to Wasson Mills. The 42-year-old plays the lotto every week and currently lives in Surrey, though not for much longer. You're going to get a new house, that's for sure. Definitely. I have a dream. I really dream of a good future for my kids. That future includes a trip to Rome to see the Colosseum, but so far, that's about it. I'm sorry, I don't know really, but because I'm in shock. So what can you buy with $39.5 million? How about the penthouse at the Fairmont Pacific Rim, four bedrooms, 6,600 square feet, and it'll only cost you a cool $30 million. That leaves you with enough cash to buy this Bentley, a private island near Seashell, a four-bedroom vacation property in Whistler, plus, just for fun, 1,000 boxes of your favorite chocolates, and still have $3.6 million left over for taxes and saving. We do suggest to them that they get some sort of a financial uh, advice uh, when you come into some money, that, this much money. Dreams do come true. And this one will change her family forever. What did her kids say? They don't know. They still don't know? Yes. What are you going to tell them? I don't know. <laughs> Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, if they're watching the news, they know now. Now, now they know. Amazing. <laughs> what a story. They'll be uh, good kids now. Best yeah. behavior. They know what's waiting for them. <laughs> uh, okay, some wild weather out there uh, rolling through. What do we got for the yeah. weekend? Uh, not too bad. First half is looking pretty good, but by the evening hours on Saturday, we'll be back to rain. So not too bad over the weekend, although Sunday is wet. The one thing I want to point out is your Tuesday, Wednesday, everyone. Those are going to be stormy days, so you'll need to tune in on Monday. River otters in the street kind of days, yeah, right? Possibly. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks, Christy. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks for watching. See ya.